Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, June 2nd, and this is your FT News Briefing. We're going to look at how Western sanctions on technology are hitting Russian businesses. It's pretty painful. Plus, we'll dig into the U.S. administration's plans for Ukraine and why the White House is being so vague about its end goals. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Western sanctions on technology sales to Russia are taking a big toll on Russian businesses. There are bottlenecks in supplies of semiconductors, electrical equipment, and hardware. The FT's Max Seddon says the impact isn't obvious right now. It's not that everything is collapsing. It's more that they've already been forced to drastically scale back their plans for all sorts of things in the technological sector. We've seen the Russian government has basically had to admit that it's not going to ban YouTube because you need an enormous amount of bandwidth for your censorship infrastructure to do that. And, you know, this is all running on imported components because Russia doesn't make this stuff to any replaceable degree. 5G is is probably not going to come to Russia now because uh, all of the equipment is supplied by Nokia and Ericsson, which are a Scandinavian company, so they're obviously not going to want to be involved in that. And even China's Huawei, which is under various sanctions, they were looking like being the real saviors of 5G in Russia, and instead they've had to drastically scale back their own presence in Russia because they don't want any further blowback from sanctions uh, themselves. And that's been the case for a lot of Chinese companies. Max says the sanctions on technology could end up being the most devastating of all the sanctions. Because in about a year, there will be no new capacity for Russia to import crucial technology like microchips and semiconductors that power everything from computers to industrial equipment to its own military. What these sanctions do is they cut Russia, which has been part of the globalized world for 30 years, uh, importing all this computer technology and doesn't know how to produce the vast majority of it. And so this leaves Russia the the risk, according to some people in the tech industry that, that I talk to, that they will just run out of servers and they will have to downgrade their tech from being one of the world's most tech-savvy countries to one of the world's most technologically backward countries. And sanctions could also stifle competition in the Russian economy because they'll make it harder to build new businesses. So what it means, according to one Russian expert I spoke to, is uh, you're going to see something that's going to be a lot more like the Soviet economy where, where it was almost like this planned economy where, you know, there was one savings bank, there was one oil and gas company. Max Seddon is our Moscow bureau chief. He's currently in Kyiv. This week, the U.S. said it will provide Ukraine with longer-range rocket systems. It's part of Washington's $40 billion aid package for Ukraine. But behind the billions in assistance and supportive statements, plus the hard-hitting sanctions against Russia, like the ones we just talked about, Washington has been less than clear about its end goals. I'm joined now by our U.S. foreign affairs correspondent, Felicia Schwartz. Hey, Felicia. Hi. So what has the Biden administration said so far, Felicia? While maybe they have not been super specific about territorial outcomes or anything like that, they've made it clear that, well, one, it's up to the Ukrainians to decide how this ends. But what they want to see is that this fight is a strategic failure for Russia, that the world understands that the big can't attack the small. To paraphrase 
General Mark Milley. The U.S. wants to make sure that Ukraine is an independent, sovereign, vibrant country. They want to make sure that NATO as an alliance stays intact. I don't know that anyone is naive and thinks that the world is going back to the way it was before February 24th, but as as close as you can get with a, a stronger NATO is is where I think the U.S. hopes this ends up. So, Felicia, the U.S. declares these broad objectives and principles, but in terms of how it specifically sees the conflict ending, it, it's been kind of vague. Why is that? It's a mixture of they're trying to figure out what they want to say. I think it's pretty clear to policymakers that Russia will be weakened, regardless of how the war proceeds at this point, because Russia's under crippling sanctions and export controls. So I think some of it is just trying to toe the line of wanting to influence the outcome, but not too much, and wanting to stay out of the war and not wanting to escalate. And, and then I also think that some of it is this is kind of early days in a sense. So I, I think it's a mixture of not totally knowing how this is going to shake out and wanting to leave their options open by not ascribing some sort of end state that might preclude other options should the fighting go one way or another. Yeah, you know, to borrow a phrase from our other Financial Times coverage, they're hedging, right? So I have to ask why President Biden is refusing Ukraine's request for rockets that have longer range than the ones the the U.S. is already sending. This all has to do with escalation. And I think that the calculations have changed. Heavy artillery, for example, was seen as maybe a bridge too far once the war started. And basically, the Russian military has done a lot worse than a lot of intelligence predicted, and the Ukrainian military has done a lot better. So that's forced American officials, and not just Americans, other European countries, other allies, to constantly recalculate how much they can provide without triggering Russia to expand the conflict or see this as a conflict that U.S. and particularly NATO is involved in. There is a sense that giving the Ukrainians rockets that are too long of a range could be potentially escalatory. Felicia Schwartz is the FT's U.S. foreign affairs correspondent. Thanks, Felicia. Thanks. British pubs have been eager to bring customers back after the long drought during the pandemic, but pub goers are in for some pain. The price of a pint is up in some places to more than eight pounds. That's like 10 bucks. So it better be a good beer. Anyway, you you can't really blame the pub owners. They've got higher wages to pay and higher costs for everything from electric bills to barley. And if you don't want to pay eight pounds or 10 bucks, you'll have to go to Lancashire. One industry tracker says that's where you'll find the UK's cheapest pint, one pound 79 pence. Just a reminder, we want to hear from you about how you're handling the changing economy. How are you coping with inflation personally? Are you cutting back on certain expenses? Are you changing the way you invest? We'd love to hear from you. And you can send us a voice memo telling us how inflation and the rough markets are affecting your daily lives. And send it to me, mark.filipino at ft.com. We may include your thoughts in an upcoming episode. 
That's marc.filippino at ft.com. You can also find my email in the show notes. You can read more on all of these stories at ft.com. This has been your daily FT news briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., 